Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I'm East Forest. Today I'm bringing you a little bit more of a background. I I get asked a lot about uh, different songs and stuff like in messages on social media or, uh, you know, emails. And uh, just today I had another one about 10 Laws. And so instead of answering the question again and again, I thought maybe I'd just do a podcast where I could give you some of this background and then I can point people to this podcast and it might answer some of the questions. So this one's particularly more the story of 10 Laws, uh, what that song's about, who is the guy talking, what are these laws? And uh, I think you'll find it interesting too, because actually the song itself was the genesis of the entire East Forest project. So let me just start where that all began. It was 2008. I was in New York City. And I was an actor, a photographer was my day job. I was living in Dumbo, Brooklyn, in this big loft. I had two other roommates. Life was pretty good, at least on paper, but things were falling apart in my late 20s. And maybe it's a Saturn Returns, whatever it is, it was the universe setting me up for change. And the band that I had going for the last five years or something, I'm not going to say the name. If you want to find it, you have to go search around the internet because I'm not particularly, I don't want you to hear the music. <laughs> I'm proud of it in the sense of it led me to where I am, but I, it's not obviously a representation of where I'm at now. And so the point is, it doesn't matter. The point is that was sort of falling apart and it was something I was pushing very hard with because I wanted it to be a vehicle for fame and, and money and all these typical things. I mean, not that that was the goal. It was really, I want it to be a vehicle for my self-expression, but I was still trying to figure out in that moment what that expression was. And so that it was, you know, there was a recession. I don't know if you remember around 2008, a pretty bad one. That's near where the bank um, thing was bailing out the banks. So there wasn't really any work. Acting was just not happening. And, and, my photography worked. I did a lot of portraits. Was uh, I think that website's still up, trevoroswell.com. Not don't ask me to take pictures or hire me because I haven't done it in a long time. But that's what I was doing. And it was directly connected to the economy. Like if things weren't going well, I noticed I got less calls and less work. And if the economy was going well, I noticed I got more calls because I think it was a bit of a luxury item. Why am I telling you this? So the point is that uh, you know, I, things were struggling like financially, uh, the band creatively in my life. And I'd been in New York city a while, about seven years and I was getting that seven year itch. And we were thinking of, of leaving my girlfriend at the time and I, and a lot of change. And I also, of course, as the universe would have it, had discovered ayahuasca for the first time and had some really profound experiences. And was really like getting deeper into the world of plant medicine. I had already been introduced to mushrooms in college and had, I'll tell that story another time, but very profound experience that sort of started me on my spiritual path, just out of curiosity and having such a strong, powerful experience. But now it was kind of coming back in a stronger ways. And I started to get interested in, in a more, in a deeper way of how music, how music is connected to these experiences, how it can help us take us there. And so I was like, well, how has it been used in uh, indigenous ceremonies 
like with ayahuasca or even like Lakota Sweat Lodge or in San Pedro or in all these different experiences, they're using music as the core vehicle of the ceremony. So I knew that it was important. And so my way of studying that was largely to go experience it firsthand with the people who are carrying that lineage in an authentic way, whether it's Peruvians or Lakota Indians uh, and so forth. But then I also wanted to do research online about modern sound healing, like, well, what do we know about the science behind this? And see if I could call this information and these experiences together to create music that I could use myself that would work inside that psychedelic space or just help cultivate a feeling inside myself that I was chasing and looking for. And this was one of more meaning, one of feeling infinite and connected, the one that um, is beyond the mundane. So anyway, during this time, I was out visiting a friend my friend Teddy out in Santa Barbara, good old friend from college. He's one of those guys that, uh, he was like the first guy to introduce me to weed, to uh, hippie stuff like djembe drumming and drumming and just joyfulness, stuff I didn't really have growing up that I didn't find. And he was really inspirational in that way. And I wanted to be around him just because his energy was so buoyant. So I was visiting him and he says, I want to introduce you to a friend. And so we went over to some house. I remember it was nighttime. And this old guy opens the door. And there was me, uh, my uh, ex, well, became my wife, -wife, ex-wife Karina, Teddy. And there was another friend with us or something like this. There's four of us to show up at this guy's house unannounced. And of course, he looks at us all and he's like, quixotically. And it's like, oh, very interesting. Oh, fantastic. Look who's, oh, wow. Look who's shown up. Hmm. Oh. Oh my God. And he's like, you must come in, come in, come in. So we all come in and we sit down and we're in some room that's real vibey and dark and comfortable couches and stuff. And I didn't know what we were doing or who this guy was. Uh, you know, he's, and he's, he's chain smoking clove cigarettes and a pipe of uh, cannabis, chain drinking coffee. It's this cowboy coffee that he makes. Uh, that has brown sugar and cinnamon and the coffee. And so we're all getting high and just sitting around and he just starts going and starts sort of what I later saw to be as giving readings. And not only is he giving readings, but uh, see, basically to fast forward, I discovered that he's, he's a mystic and he just sort of has tapped into certain energies and things that most of us are not. As he later told me, he had a Satori moment at a Chinese restaurant when the waiter put down his tea. And since then, he's just been in sort of a dream state where he can see all the ghosts in the room and he's very tapped into past lives. So he's talking to us about all the different past lives we've had together. And that's why he was so excited to see us all. He's like, oh my God, it's you. And oh, right, that was 2000 years ago. We had this thing and you were the the court jester and the king cut off my head and... (laughs) So it's, it's fun and it's interesting and it's confusing and he's using all sorts of language and terminology and systems of thought that I didn't understand, but I was mesmerized. So when we were there, I believe it was the first time I had a little recorder because I had been in the habit now. I'd also been getting into the nature and backpacking as part of my exploration and my transition and breakdown in my life, I had uh, sought out nature. And when I was up doing these hikes and backpacking things in the Adirondacks, that was the closest quote unquote wilderness uh, 
wild land from New York City that I could find. And I drive all the way up there, go backpacking, and I was really getting tapped into some of the things I was hearing, like some certain crickets at a remote lake or a mountaintop wind that was really creating that feeling that I spoke about in my heart, excuse me, in my heart of feeling connected, feeling infinite, feeling like that, poof, you're just sort of floating, floating in space. If that's, there it is, that's what's behind all this mask of bullshit and reality is that thing that we all are, that soul space. Uh, And so I thought maybe if I recorded it, perhaps I could remember it or listen to it. And in truth, it did. If I recorded that sea of crickets or that mountain wind, it did bring back mnemonically that feeling for me. And that was really cool. So as fate would have it, I would start to bring this into the music you know, because my other band was falling apart. So now I was like, well, what am I supposed to do musically? And I started just making music for myself. And I, because I, and I was like, I'm not going to sell this. I'm not going to perform it. I'm just doing this really for fun in my little, my room in, in Dumbo in Brooklyn, underneath the Manhattan bridge, just fiddling around on reason on my Mac. And I started putting in, I remember the first time I put in some from frogs, and I think the frogs were from Court's house, outside his house. And I was just instantly like, wow, that I just felt like I cheated because I felt like I, this song all of a sudden became, had depth. Like I brought in the soul of a place and that was really powerful for me. And so I only had one or two or three little ditties that I had been fiddling around with. And the, I remember I would put on headphones and this song became 10 laws and i i did that little uh piano part and then it was like a loop and i went over to the keyboard and i i liked fender rhodes and i pulled up a fender rhodes sound on reason and i was playing on the headphones because the experiences that i had had with music and psychedelics like just a few times in my life that were so profound were with headphones and it's something intimate about that experience of listening to the music right there. Like it blocks out the rest of the world. And I started playing chords against that piano line. And I was looking for a chord that I, that would in, create that feeling inside me. And so I was just fiddling around with chords. And I remember I hit that C, God, why can't I? Is it C, F, A minor is the progression. And it being like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, there's that feeling. Not too loud, not too soft, just like that. There you go. And recording that and creating that sort of loop. And then I, when I was with, going back to our flashback to where we were with Court in his, in his room and he's giving that thing. So I'd had that recorder with me, the one that I would hike with. Because I also started recording just things in my life. I started gathering field recordings. It was, it was kind of fun. And I recorded my time with him there. And I wasn't sure if he was cool at that. I just kind of did it. But I made it a little obvious. Like it was on the table, but I didn't really ask. Uh, And he said lots of things. Probably for four hours he talked. And he he has a system of like numbers and a hundred room psychology that he uses. And he sort of asks you to do things like, give me two numbers. And you're supposed to sort of speak from your mind without thinking. So sort of like your unconscious mind. Uh, Two nine. Well, you know, nine might represent the room of mastery and two might represent the room uh, of uh, 
sexuality. So it's like sexual mastery. And then he's like, give me two words. And the words might be just coming out of you like uh, um, freedom and um, passion. And he's like, would you rather have passion or freedom? And he uses these as a doorway into a reading why he's also mixing that in with his own muscle testing and his, uh, you know, <laughs> the energies and spirits that are in the room and clearing them and all the past lives. And it's, it's really cool and fun. And it took me years to kind of speak his language and know the background of a lot of that. But one of the things he said in that uh, was these 10 laws and this the hunter-gatherer's code of 10 that he called them. And he said, uh, you know, these are not immutable, uh, but these are things that I use to kind of keep my ship of life sailing straight. And I have, if I have these things covered, then... I'm probably on track and the rest of the stuff is less important. And he'd even like put each law on a different finger on his hand. That's how he'd count them. And with muscle testing, if one of those fingers uh, was giving a certain signal back to him, that would tell him that say, you know, the law always get the job done, always get the job done is one of the laws. And so if, if that particular finger was keying him off, that was a way of his body or a communication to him that there's something to look at there. So I had that recording and I remember being in my room in Dumbo and remembering it and thinking, well, wonder if I started putting in some speech into this, what that would be like. It was just sort of an intuition. And I dug up that little recording and I started playing with it and thinking, this is kind of, kind of cool. And I put the little four on the floor beat behind it. And then I, I remember it only took like an hour or two. I just started separating out each law to see if that would work and put it in time with the music. And it did. And then I thought I needed a little like hi-hat things. I made that little wood block sound. It was very simplistic. And again, I just was like, what chases that feeling I was looking for? And I remember it came together really quickly. And it was the first song that became a complete song for what would become this whole East Forest project. Uh, And so let me just tell you what the laws are. So you can you can know them. It's always see the dangers first. Always protect your feet. Always be ready for cold. Always be ready for heat. Always know where good water or source is. Always master the skills necessary. Always get the job done. Always know your place. Always disallow foolishness. And always rest whenever you can. So from a hunter-gatherer's point of view, you know, like always protect your feet. Otherwise, the tribe leaves you behind because they have to move on. Um, and these other things are like the basics, right? But then there's also some layers of philosophy in there about getting the job done and mastering the skills and knowing your place. But the question I got today, and sometimes people ask me, is the one about disallowing foolishness. Like, what does that mean? Or I disagree with that, or I don't understand that, or what is he saying? Um, look, these are, as he says, open to your own interpretation, you know? Uh, Sort of like Buddhism, like you need to... (laughs) make this work for you. What that means for me though, uh, is like I I disallow fools often or what is foolish action for me uh, as a way in framing that and the idea of right livelihood in a sense. So sometimes when I'm around someone who's essentially being a fool, let's just call it like that. I don't mean like, oh, they're having a good time. I mean, they're, they're just being stupid or they're doing something that's just foolish and it's destructive and toxic in a way. My disallowing that is me distancing myself or protecting myself saying, I don't, I don't need to be part of this. This is just foolishness. And it's my job to say, I don't want that kind of energy in my life. Uh, 
Um, and I often say, up, oh, disallow foolishness. This person is being a fool. I need to step back. But these things can mean what it means to you. So Court, um, going back to me saying I wasn't sure if he was knows knew that I was recording or not, if he was cool with that. <laughs> We've been we're very close now, so now I um, I, I have a lot of background, but. I left the recorder on the table recording. If I stepped out and went to the bathroom at one point, and when I was listening to the recording, when I had gone out of the room, he had leaned down to the microphone and said something like, to the people in the listening audience, uh, all copyrights and considerations are given to the cosmic law of the universe. Basically, he was just making fun and having a good time and making note that he knew I was recording and he was having a good time. <laughs> Uh, and you know, since then I, I try to see court a few times a year whenever I'm down in that area. And I tell him, I say, court, you know, I'll show him a, a video of like the Ted talk where I performed that song or uh, a picture or a video where I'm performing it with a dance company, or there's all these people and his voice is booming over the loudspeaker. And I say, you know, your 10 laws is, uh, the most popular song still that I've ever released and that all these people have heard it and, and they like it and they're inspired by you and they ask who, you know, who you are. And he always just, he just chuckles. He just thinks it's funny. You're like, oh, this is, yes, yes, this is quite possibly, yes, of course. Of course, this is the uh, plan. And yeah, he, he, he's, he warms his heart, of course. But uh, it's sort of with, with, uh, with a, a grin. And recently, you know, almost 10 years later, I, I was performing and I asked him, I said, would you like to, to come to the, to the show? And he doesn't leave his house much. He certainly doesn't leave town much at all. And I didn't think, I kind of had a hard time picturing him being out in the world at all. <laughs> like not just at his, his home, at his, at, his, at his desk with his smoke and his coffee and so forth. But of course they were like, yeah, yeah, we definitely want to come. And so I put him on the guest list and they came and he was, I did an East Forest ceremony concert. This was about a year ago. And he, I remember he was sitting right there on the floor next to me because everybody's in the round. And I remember when I played the song and I've played that song now definitely over a thousand times. And it was a real trip to hear his voice coming over to loudspeaker and he's right there. And to feel the joy between the two of us as friends, as souls who, in his words, have crossed together many, many times for thousands of years. And this is another dance we're doing together. And to, to see that celebration through that song and to see, uh, he told me afterwards, he says, I'm drunk. I'm drunk with joy. <laughs> to see that joy coming through him and to see this emanation, to see how it hits all of you in the world, that one particular song and how it served as the, the kindling for this entire project brings tears to my eyes and fills me with humble gratitude um, for the roles that we play with each other as souls, as friends in our soul pods to do the work that we do. And sometimes we don't get the opportunity to, to honor that or even see it. Maybe we let it just pass by and we chalk things up to chance uh, or we forget. But this was a time it allowed me to remember and I want to bring that remembrance to you. So that's the story of how the 10 Laws song came to be. And what I thought I would do is I have uh, 
geez, dozens and dozens of hours of other times I've been sitting with court. And I've always thought about releasing that as a podcast because just like my session with him, which is just mostly him uh, talking and giving me a reading. I haven't done it because A, it's, I mean, it is personal, but it's more like, I don't know if it totally makes sense. But what I do have is uh, some clips that I thought I could play you of just some other things he said. And maybe I can find the clip where he actually said the 10 laws. It is edited a bit. Like I took out some of the pauses, but you hear like kind of what he said before and after, which is just interesting and maybe gives you a little more context. So I'm going to play just a couple uh, court isms, <laughs> court clips. And of course you'll hear other like recordings and sound in the background. I think in some of these, Teddy was there. Some of these are from super long ago. Maybe someone's playing a guitar in the background or maybe even someone's chit-chatting in the background. Um, and maybe if you like these, let me know. I could find other little clips from my sessions with Court. He goes by VCJ as an artist. He's a, he, he draws, uh, he's an amazing artist. You can look up VCJ graphics. Someone actually made him a webpage. <laughs> You'll see his work, which is stunning. Cause so he ended up doing the artwork for my, that first record, which 10 laws is the first song, the education of the individual soul. And he drew that artwork and, the artwork um, kind of has me as an Iroquois Indian because he says, this is you as an Iroquois Indian in a past life. But of course the Indian has an iPod and is smoking like a peace pipe. And there's this cool thing going on in imagery where like a city is becoming a forest and they got the frog in there and there's a little, there's a little hidden toadstool if you can find that. He did that artwork and he's done all the artwork or he's been the primary artist for Powell Peralta skateboards for maybe 30 some years. So if you know that famous image from Paolo Peralta of sort of a skull coming out of the background, that's his work. And if you go to his website, you'll see all of his other work and it's very visionary and incredible. And perhaps he hasn't gotten the the due he has, des- uh, the respect he has deserved, is what I meant to say. He gets it in certain circles for sure, but he's never been someone who's who really put himself out there and he just stays up there in the, in the woods and the people that come to him are friends or friends of friends that you know visit. And when I'm there, that's what I witness. I just witness people stopping by and hanging out like I love to do and be basking in the friendship and the joy. And, and he just gives readings to people. One year when I came to visit him, I gifted him a recorder so that he could record himself and record his readings for other people. And he still has that and he, and he, I tried to get one that was really simple and he's been using that and yeah, so he's just a beautiful brother. So let me give you a few uh, from clips from our visit and I'll play the 10 Laws song here at the end for good measure. And thanks for listening. That's the story of 10 Laws. Thanks for giving this podcast a review. Uh, find a way to do that on Apple if you're on it or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can give it five stars, a written review. We're getting close to a hundred ratings. Please, we it goes very organically and slowly, those ratings, but you can do it more than once. And if you do help me get those ratings up, it makes a big difference in me being able to get great guests on the show and give some credibility to this work and helps motivate me to keep doing it because doing a weekly podcast is a gift and something that does take time. And I do appreciate the motivation and support uh, of, of you out there listening. 
So you can always let me know on social media. You can share the podcast on social media and all that stuff, which is cool and awesome. And you can write to me and ask questions or comments at info at eastforest.org. And that's where you'll see all the tour dates and, and stuff like that. Okay, sayonara. Peace. Keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do, do it with grace. My, the repetition of my code is something I play over and over again. And it's like a little song that keeps me on track. Ten fingers, ten laws that I live by. And, um, and, uh, I put it in a rhyme, the, the, the hunter-gatherer's code of ten. I put it in a rhyme, and that was beautiful, too. Be a better song than, than, uh. Yeah. And the tablets, which are always see the dangers first, always protect your feet, always be ready for cold, always be ready for heat, always know where good water or source is, always master the skills necessary, always get the job done, always know your place, always disallow foolishness, and always rest whenever you can. I live by these. If any could be improved upon or substituted, mine would be wide open to consider. But, you know, it took me long enough to get around to finding some, you know, code to live by, because otherwise it was, I didn't know where I was coming from. <laughs> Since the invention of recording, whether it's photographic film recording or sound recording, the human mind is has been leavened in a special way. So there's these times, the last hundred years are very, very, uh, there's a fermentation going on. The last 10 years. Enormous fermentation going on as the planet crosses the midpoint in its history. I mean, human beings are crossing the midline and the average age of the soul is becoming mature from young level souls with the average bell curve is moving from average late level young to early level mature and with recording all humans will be enhanced in their introspection and how they learn to go within and introspect because young souls typically don't introspect infant baby and young souls don't introspect but as we are going into the mature soul age we are armed with recording equipment which um, is to say uh, there's cameras everywhere but the only act that holds together is when the truth is there and it's time for intervention on earth and um, and if someone catches that that moment of truth you see on a recorded on right. recording equipment then it can be conveyed live to millions of viewers or it can be conveyed for one's personal pleasure or the pleasure of self and friends and whether one can perceive the truth for that matter because you cannot perceive the truth if you think that we're all in, if you believe that we're all insane then you cannot perceive the truth of anything And Elvis Presley came back as Alanis Morissette. <laughs> <laughs>
switch, I believe. But, oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. walks down the street. A lot of track of her work. Marilyn Monroe came back as J- Michael J. Fox. In the lesson. Are you serious? Yeah. In the lesson. Continues. Kennedy came back as Elway, and Elway's challenges are distinctly related to, to Kennedy. Elway sets himself up as a quarterback and, and injures his back and winds up on a bike in like Jack Kennedy, but this all sets up these lessons and, and goes through them again and again until they learn. Jefferson came back as Al Gore, but he doesn't need to be president again. And you can see who this all is and was, and it puts things in the context of
Could be that we're all musicians singing our way through life together.